0: you're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com
1: my name is Foster and I will be reading from Matthew 14 14 through 34 through 36, and 15, verses 29 through 31. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And when they had crossed over, they came to a land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought him to all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. The word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Foster.
2: Let's uh, pause a moment in prayer again. God, we uh, come before you broken and in need of your mercy. We come before you in need of your healing power over us, your shalom peace over our, not not, not just over nations, God, but over relationships, over our bodies, over our hearts. So, Lord, would you do your work as we come under the authority of your word by your spirit and heal us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The greatest wealth is health, wrote the Roman poet Virgil over 2,000 years ago. Well, today, one tech billionaire a guy named Brian Johnson, with all of the wealth in the world, is passionately pursuing health in the most extreme way possible. This 46-year-old tech entrepreneur spends about $2 million a year on a team of experts who monitor his health and conducts experiments. His goal is simple, to get his organs to look and act like those of an 18-year-old. Sounds easy enough, right? Well, let me tell you about his daily regimen. He has a strict bedtime of 8.30 p.m. He takes 111 pills daily and even collects stool samples regularly for examination. Brian even infuses his teenage son's plasma into his own bloodstream each month. Now, while Brian... He recognizes that most people cannot afford to do what he does. He encourages everyone to start pursuing healthier living through activities like exercising, sleeping more, and eating better, which are all undoubtedly good things. But what if healthier living is not enough for us to get to a place of health in our physical body? We all know the reality of sickness and physical health, disease of all kinds, and even disability. What do we do when the doctors can't figure out a treatment plan for our pain or disease? How should we pray to God when the sickness is literally killing us? Does God want to heal me of my disease? Well, these are hard questions to wrestle with, especially if you are going, if you are going through a difficult ailment right now and, or have a loved one who is going through sickness. I know many of you have survived cancer of various kinds, and you struggle with fear of cancer coming back. Others in this room, and maybe even those who are listening online, may be experiencing chronic pain in your body without any relief in sight. And unfortunately, sickness and physical pain are part of the human experience. Now, you may not be the person who is sick, but but everyone in here has been close to someone who has been sick or is now suffering from physical pain. I realize that preaching on the topic of Jesus' healing can elicit varying emotions. For some of you, there may be a feeling of disappointment, because it feels like God is not listening to your cries for help. Maybe for others, there's muted hopelessness that nothing will really change about my physical sickness. I know a few of you have experienced healing from God. So a message about Jesus' healing is welcomed. Wherever you may find yourself in the range of emotions regarding sickness and disease, Jesus in our text today demonstrates to us his power over every sickness. And he holds out hope to everyone who is suffering from sickness and suffering from any kind of disease whether it's physical or spiritual. This morning, we will see that Jesus is our compassionate healer so we can humbly come before him and ask for healing in faith. And as we look at the miracle summaries found in Matthew chapters 14 and 15, we will look uh, at three, three points. The crowds humbly seek Jesus for healing. Secondly, that Jesus compassionately Heals the sick, and lastly, the hope of ultimate healing and restoration. Now following the well-known events of Jesus miraculously feeding over 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish, and his display of power walking on water, which Pastor Joel preached on the last few weeks, in today's passage we see that Jesus and his disciples finally arrive at a place called Gennesaret in Matthew chapter 14, verse 34. Gennesaret is a small but incredibly beautiful and fertile field offering a quiet and peaceful place for retreat and rest for for Jesus and his disciples. However, Jesus' plan to spend time alone with his disciples is disrupted when word spreads that he is in town. And in a similar fashion, in Matthew chapter 15, what we, what we just read, news of Jesus' arrival in what seems to be Gentile territory spreads like wildfire, and, and crowds begin flocking to Jesus. And the sole purpose of these crowds in both Matthew 15 and 14, is to seek healing from Jesus. First, we see the crowds humbly coming to seek Jesus for healing. Now, the plight of the sick during Jesus' day was one of deep hopelessness and despair. Ancient people believed that those who were sick were cursed by the gods. And even the Jews believed that the sick were judged by God for their sins, the sins that they had committed. And what was worse was that certain disease or sickness like leprosy rendered people ceremonially unclean, made them outcasts both religiously and socially, and excluded them from the worshiping community in the temple. They were marginalized, isolated, dehumanized, relying on the charity and the kindness of others for them to survive. But when the news of Jesus' arrival in town spread, there was a glimmer of hope for the sick and their loved ones. They had probably heard about Jesus healing a woman who was suffering from internal bleeding for 12 years by simply touching the edge of Jesus' garment. Excitement spread in the hearts of those who were sick and and those who had sick loved ones at the news that Jesus, the healer, was nearby. Can you imagine the commotion and excitement surrounding Jesus as as more and more more people start fighting their way to the center of that crowd where Jesus stood? In Matthew 14's account, we see the sick imploring, or or another word for that is, is begging Jesus, to get close enough to him that they might simply touch the fringe of his garment, believing that his healing power was so strong that even a touch of his garment could bring healing. The fringe is referring to the part of the long garment that reached down to the feet. And all those who approached Jesus fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, to touch the fringe of his garment. Similarly, in Matthew 15's account, it says, The great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet. Now, anyone coming down to the level of someone's feet to ask for something shows a posture of humility, of surrender, of trust of expectation, and might I even add, desperation. We see that they came with some measure of faith, believing that Jesus had the power to heal their sickness. And in your own physical suffering, how have you approached Jesus? Perhaps with anger, disappointment, or resignation, If you're hurting, you're in pain or overwhelmed by suffering, I encourage you to humbly surrender yourself before Jesus and ask him for his healing. Confess to Jesus that you have no answers. You have no solutions to the suffering and pain. Cry out to Jesus, help me, heal me, Lord. Have mercy on me, Jesus. And if your suffering is not physical but spiritual or emotional, reach out to Jesus as well, just as those in Matthew 14 reached out for his garment. Call out to Jesus. Reach out to Jesus. Come before Jesus' feet. Imagine the people there in Matthew 14 who told themselves, if I could only touch the fringe of his cloak... If I could just get close enough to Jesus, I know Jesus has the power to heal me. These people had the faith that said, I got to get to Jesus. I'm sure some of them said, my life is a mess, but I got to get to Jesus. I'm hurting and my body is broken. My soul is crushed and unable to breathe, but I got to get to Jesus. Heal me, Jesus. Have mercy on me, Jesus. My brothers and sisters, humbly come before Jesus and ask Him to heal you. Amen. That there is another aspect of Jesus healing the masses. They may not be obvious at first glance. in the crowds, and the people who came to seek Jesus for healing were family members. They were friends, of people who were sick. They brought their loved ones, guided their blind friend, and carried their disabled siblings to Jesus. These acts of love and compassion allowed those who were sick to come before Jesus. And it is a powerful reminder that sometimes we are called to carry someone to Jesus because they don't have the strength to walk on their own. How could some of the sick otherwise come to Jesus if not for the help of their family members and friends? Now, these friends and family wanted nothing more than to see their sick mother or brother or sister or friend healed of their sickness by Jesus and for them to no longer suffer, no longer be an outcast, and no longer look down upon as worthless by society. You may not be the one who is who's been suffering for years and in pain, but God may be calling you to come alongside those who are hurting so that you can bring them to Jesus' feet. People who are sick need others around them to confess and believe with them and say, we got to get to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus together. Sometimes we are called to carry them, like I mentioned before, because they don't have the strength on their own to get to Jesus. Other times, we're, just, we're called to just spend time with them, to weep and cry with them, maybe take a meal to them, to pray with them, to wait on the Lord's mercy with them. See, whether you are sick or helping the sick, we are all invited by Jesus to humbly come before him and ask for healing and restoration of our brokenness this time i'm going to ask spencer spencer miller who's a member of our of our church to come up and share about a ministry that comes alongside those with disabilities and i'm going to have him share a little bit about how the church can do a better job of of leading people with disability toward jesus spencer thank you pastor
3: david
0: Well, good morning, Trinity family. Uh, Yeah, Pastor David had asked me to come and and share a little bit about the ministry of Johnny and Friends this morning and the opportunity that we have as the church to love, care for, and serve those living with disability in our church and in our community well uh, until that day when ultimate healing in new creation. Arrives. Amen. I have the great privilege of working for the ministry of Johnny and Friends in the Northwest team. And just a quick show of hands how many of you are familiar with the founder of Johnny and Friends, Johnny Erickson Tata? Yeah, so a good handful of you here. So today is Johnny Erickson Tata's birthday. She turns 74 today. And uh, grateful for all that she continues to do in the lives of millions around the world. It started 56 years ago when Johnny, by her own account, took a reckless dive at the age of 17 into shallow water and broke her neck, leaving her quadriplegic. And through Johnny's greatest misery in that moment, God created his greatest ministry through Johnny. And in the 12 years that followed after the accident, Johnny recognized this gift that God had given her of being able to communicate the hope that she had through her hardship. And that word, that communicated message of hope that she had in Christ through her circumstances reached hundreds of thousands and drew them, many of them giving their lives to Christ, even to this day through her encouragement. And so, in that time, 12 years later, the ministry of Johnny and Friends was born. And the mission of Johnny and Friends is to glorify God as we communicate the gospel and mobilize the global church, that's you and me, to uh, evangelize, serve, and uh, disciple those living with disabilities. And the vision that the ministry has is a world in which every single person living with disability finds hope, dignity, and their place in the body of Christ. And the biblical mandate that drives us in the ministry each and every day is found in Luke 14, the parable of the great banquet that says, go quickly, the command to go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame and go further into the margins, to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in because they're not going to believe that this is for them compel them to come in so that my house will be full. It is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Amen. And so uh, through that uh, calling, um, God has given us this great mission and ministry to go and serve and disciple those living with disabilities. Today, one in every seven people on the planet live with disability. Nearly one billion people on the planet. It's the largest minority group by number on the planet. And here in the United States, 25%, one in five, live with some form of disability. Um, Here in Washington, those numbers are reflected. 25% of adults, 1.2 million people, live with disabilities here in our state. If you go around in the city of Seattle and knocked on one out of every three doors, you would find somebody living with disability. That's the significance of this number, and yet, what do we find represented within our churches? In our own research, we find that 15% of uh, families affected by disability, are only 15%, are plugged into Bible-preaching churches. And even less than that, 11% of any of those evangelical churches are doing any sort of outreach to those with disability. And so there is this gap between the church and those living with disability. And that's why Johnny and Friends is here to help close the gap. And we need to ask ourselves, why is that there? And that's when I usually tell the story of Barbie. I didn't watch the movie, but here's the story of Barbie. All right? So for 40 years, Mattel, the maker of the doll Barbie, goes without a representative in their doll lineup of, uh, without disability. But 40 years into that process, they finally create a doll with disability. Her name's Becky. Becky. And we're all applauding. This is back in 1997, and it's a great moment until it isn't. The doll goes out, the kids get Becky, but the problem is Becky doesn't fit into Barbie's dream house. And if you're familiar with Barbie Land at all, there's a dream house, and the kids love playing with the dolls in the dream house, and Becky doesn't fit. So Mattel, in its wisdom, tries to fix Becky, not the dream house. And they try, and they try, and they try. And Becky is discontinued. And the symbolism here is rich because that not only represents what we see happening in our society, but sadly oftentimes in the church. That you're welcome here as long as you fit into the way that we do things here. But if you don't, there's not a place for you. And so time and time again, we come alongside families and hear the stories of how they're not unintentionally pushed out of the church and so, Johnny and Friends, uh, again, is here to provide the resources to help us be more inclusive, to create these spaces of belonging. And we found over the last four decades of doing ministry that all local churches are somewhere on this continuum from exclusion to inclusion and in belonging. And so, we come alongside the church to help them to see the opportunities there are to engage those families and to change the culture of the church so that they become places of inclusion and gospel spaces of belonging for people of all abilities. And so I want to close by just extending an invitation. I've got a a table set up outside um, in the foyer. If you have a moment after uh, prayer today and you want to stop by, I'd love to talk to you more about the ministry. And in a couple weeks, we'll have a lunch and learn after service from 12 to 1. I'll bring lunch. We'll talk about disability, bring some awareness to it, and help you to see the opportunities we have as a church to come together alongside those living with disabilities and make these uh, spaces and places uh, of belonging, gospel spaces of belonging for the church. Thanks for the opportunity to share.
2: Well, the many who were sick, as we get back into our text, seeking healing from Jesus on two different occasions that we read in Matthew 14 and 15, we're all healed by a compassionate and powerful healer, which takes us to our second point. Now, as we dive into the text, we witness how Jesus compassionately heals the sick. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus, he healed many people. But in Matthew chapters 14 and 15, there are actually three distinct occasions when Jesus healed many individuals at different locations. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, right before he miraculously fed over 5,000 people, here's what it says. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So before Jesus taught, before Jesus fed the masses, Jesus first healed the sick among them. Now, it's essential to understand the nature of Jesus' compassion. This compassion goes beyond sympathy. It means compassion, the word compassion means this deep feeling of sorrow accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate suffering and remove its cause. That is the compassion of Jesus. You see, Jesus not only knows about our sickness, suffering, and pain, but also deeply empathizes and comes into our pain with us. And Jesus saw the sick. He saw the blind, the lame, the mute, and the crippled among the crowd and was moved in his heart with a feeling of deep sorrow and a strong desire to remove the suffering and pain. And driven by this compassion, Jesus healed the sick. In Matthew 14, verse 36, we saw that every single person who touched Jesus' garment was made well. And that is astonishing. But also in Matthew chapter 15, verse 31, we read... That the crowd saw the mute speaking and the crippled becoming healthy, the lame walking and the blind seeing. These healings were miraculous and they demonstrated the immense power and compassion of Jesus. And what was the response of the people healed? Well, the response of the people healed was to glorify the God of Israel can you imagine the outburst of joy and celebration of a pain-free body from those healed and their loved ones? I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of, um, of children who are, who are deaf and then they put on a, a, a cochlear implant on them and for the first time they hear their, their mother's voice. Or, or maybe someone who's colorblind and they, they, they put on special glasses and they see color for the first time. The overwhelming emotions in these moments are heartwarming. But but multiply the joy of being healed by Jesus by a factor of a hundred. No, maybe by a thousand. No, maybe ten thousand. I'm sure the crowds healed by Jesus were dancing. They were singing, praising, worshiping Jesus with their hearts, bursting with gratitude. There were probably... Tears of joy flowing down the faces of many people with lots of hugs and kisses. What a sight to have seen. And Jesus, he compassionately healed the sick. This time I'm going to ask Jan to come up and share a little bit about her testimony of being healed of of cancer, not once, but twice. So if you could... um, Welcome, Jen, up here and share.
3: So my purpose uh, this morning is not for the focus to be on me, but to give you an opportunity to ponder how God might want to reveal himself to you. So could I recount two scenarios in my life in which people have anointed and prayed over me? The first was 25 years ago, Ed and I were living in California, and we worshiped at the Evangelical Covenant Church um, in Concord, California. I'd been diagnosed with breast cancer, and a friend, Dale Ray, was experiencing a reoccurrence of tongue cancer. Ed and I had three kids under the age of eight. Nothing at stake here. And both Dale Ray and I were seeking medical intervention Eddie and I had already met with a cancer tumor board, you know, and that was probably one of the most freest times I have ever experienced sharing my faith. And um, Jesus with six or seven doctors uh, in the front of the room, um, and we were sure to, uh, to also to thank them for their skill sets and the willingness to to advise us. Delray and I also asked the st- staff and pastors of our church if they would anoint and pray over us. And it really became a time of worship because not only was it them, but many people from the worship community came forward as well to pray with us. We both proceeded with surgery and and definitely gave God the credit honoring the prayer and the medical skill set of our doctors. During the next several years, neither one of us had, had any signs of cancer And then 10 years later, Ed and I moved to Seattle. And one of the first things I was thinking is that we were leaving the Bay Area behind us, which had the highest statistic of women experiencing breast cancer. And then you Google it, and guess what? Seattle had taken over uh, that particular mark. So at the insistence of my husband, um, I made an appointment one day and a different type of cancer was de- detected. Ed and I had, it took time to interview four oncologists after we had narrowed down a surgeon because we were getting a lot of conflicting advice from each oncologist. So during this search though, Ed and I stopped by a friend's house who had been diagnosed and was, was um, diagnosed as far as dying of cancer and unbeknownst to us, we walked into a prayer time. Ken had invited about five or six missionary and pastor types to come over and to pray over him. I took notice of one of the more senior, well-known pastors in Seattle, and on his heart, one of the questions he asked um, Ken was, is there any sin in your life to confess? His desire was to attend to Ken's heart and his soul. The pastors anointed and prayed for Ken, but then Ken immediately asked them to turn their focus on me, with Ken himself leading out in prayer. It was probably one of the most humbling times that I've ever experienced. Ken died in the next couple of weeks, but God graciously healed my body, honoring prayer, surgery, maybe the chemotherapy, Just a note, um, a little levity, Ed and I did commit to the fourth oncologist. And one of the factors that swayed us was on the onset of our meetup, I talked with her and I just said, you know, Ed and I have been praying and asking God to direct us because we're pretty confused. And she said, laughing, she said, well, Jan, just so you know, I'm not God. And I said, just so you know, I think I can work with you. So this morning, um, just as I kind of close my comments, our elders are graciously making themselves available afterwards to pray and to anoint um, over us. And I've had a two to three year condition on my tailbone, and I'm running out of medical interventions. I've tried a lot of different um, types of doctors, and they're willing to, to pray and to anoint um, my body. Perhaps today you're, you are wrestling with some type of a dimension in your life. May I invite you to ask God if he's directing you to join us. We certainly want to acknowledge God as a God of faith and a God who greatly heals. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Jan. I keep coming back, right? Sorry. We have a little bit more to go. Well, Jesus' healing power, driven by his compassionate heart, is undeniable, and praise God some of us have experienced that here and now. However, while we may earnestly desire healing, we must not lose sight of the healer in the process. We shouldn't seek healing alone, but allow our healing to lead us to worship the one who heals. In Luke chapter 17, there's a story of 10 desperate men with leprosy who cried out to Jesus for mercy and healing. And Jesus, out of his compassion, healed all 10 men. But only one, only one man returned to seek out Jesus and praise him. You see, we cannot separate the gift Jesus gives, including healing from the gift giver who is Jesus himself. How would you feel if your child only came to you for what you could provide, like food and shelter, clothes, transportation, presents, but yet they had no interest in having a relationship with you, disrespected you, disregarded you at every turn? Well, you would feel like, You're only as good as what you can provide rather than having a growing relationship with your child. The same is true of friendships. We want friends who love and value us not because of what we provide for them, but because they know and love us for who we are and enjoy being with us. So you know, our relationship with God is not simply a series of transactions. The blessing and gifts God gives us are amazing. But the greatest gift God gives us is himself. And just like a parent who provides good things, but also is there for us emotionally and physically, God is like that. And to minimize God to being only as good as his gifts is to miss the relationship and the person of God altogether. His gifts are simply reflections of who God is Himself. He is this magnificent, glorious, loving God who saves, who forgives, who heals, who redeems us to Himself. Yes, God, out of His rich mercy and love, sent Jesus to provide what we needed most resuscitation from spiritual death because of sin into a new life in Christ. Jesus died the death that we deserved on the cross. And he offers to us the record of his perfect life if we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus. This is the good news. But Jesus' care for us includes our physical well-being as well. Jesus' care for us is comprehensive. Jesus cares about feeding hungry stomachs and restoring sick bodies. Jesus cares about the whole person physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Jesus shows us how how much he cares for his people in a tangible way by feeding hungry people with real bread, as well as healing broken bodies to live a healthy and full life for Christ. Jesus' miraculous healing is also meaningful in another way. By, by coupling his gospel teaching with divine powers of healing, Jesus was authenticating his divine identity as the king of this new upside-down kingdom, just as the Old Testament prophets said the Messiah would do. And Jesus' exercising authority over demons and supernatural miracles were also a foretaste, a a preview of a forever kingdom where there will be ultimate healing and restoration, which takes us to our last point. Have you ever been to an ice cream shop with dozens of flavors? Baskin-Robbins, is that a thing still? 31 flavors, I I don't know. You can't really decide getting, right, the... Three scoops or however many you're going to get before you try some samples. I remember going to an ice cream shop in Vancouver, B.C. where they had over 100 flavors. The sample, like 10 of them, before narrowing it down to a choice where you ordered the pint or whatever it was that you got in the sugar cone. Well, Jesus' healing of the masses who were sick was an act of compassion as well as A sample or foreshadowing of what is coming in the future. The hope of ultimate healing and restoration. We will one day get to feast on the tub of ice cream, so to speak, when every part of God's good creation is restored, including our bodies. You see... Jesus' healing of the blind, the lame, the mute, the crippled during his ministry was not the final and ultimate healing Jesus wants for us. They are just a foretaste. There is a glorious future awaiting those who trust in Jesus, marked by ultimate healing and restoration when shalom peace will be restored to us in our body, in our mind in our hearts in all of creation and we will see jesus face to face and revelation chapter 21 verses 4 and 5 paints a picture of a day when god will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death no more mourning no more crying no more pain god will make all things new You see, our hope for ultimate and complete healing and restoration is grounded in Jesus' redemptive work on the cross and will be consummated and completed on that day. Imagine a world with no more sickness, no more disease, no more suffering, no more death, because Jesus is making all things new. The basis for the hope we have for ultimate healing and restoration is in the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. We don't have to wait for the restoration project of Jesus to start in the future because Jesus already initiated his profound restoration plan over 2,000 years ago when Jesus atoned for our sins on the cross. You see, when Jesus died on the cross to secure forgiveness for our sin, and was resurrected on the third day, God laid the foundation for the ultimate eradication of all disease and sickness at Jesus' second coming when we receive our resurrected and perfected bodies. And so, every spiritual and physical blessing comes from the redemptive work of Jesus Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21 reminds us that followers of Jesus will one day have a glorified body like Jesus' resurrected body without sickness, disease, and pain. Look what it says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Where did sickness and disease come from? Well, all sickness, decay, brokenness, and death are a result of sin brought into the human experience by Adam's fall. But Jesus died for our sins and paid the penalty for sin so that one day our bodies become like Jesus' glorious body and sickness will be done away with forever. The redemptive work of Jesus on the cross is the foundation for healing today, as God allows, as well as hope for ultimate healing in the future. And because Jesus dealt with the greatest human problem of sin plaguing all of creation, we can not only pray for healing today, but also hope for complete wholeness in the future. If it is true, that Jesus is making all things new, and it is true, and will completely restore all of creation, including our sick bodies, we ought to pray for healing today. Sam Storm is a, a pastor. He writes, The question is not whether our bodies receive healing because of the atonement of Christ, but when. We are guaranteed complete healing in eternity in our renewed bodies, and we, at, we ought to ask for healing in our present body as well for His glory. We should never stop praying for the sick to be healed because Jesus invites us to ask and to seek and to knock in prayer before a gracious Father. In fact, we are going to have time, as Jan mentioned, a time to pray for the sick or for any prayer topics that you have in terms of whatever brokenness you have god's word actually encourages encourages us to pray for the sick in james 5 it says is anyone among you sick let him call the elders of the church let him pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it, as it is working. Our hope and faith in Jesus allows us to sing the words of joy to the world. In this part of the hymn where we say where we sing no more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found. Let's humbly come before Jesus, our compassionate healer, and ask Jesus to heal us and fill us with hope for ultimate healing. Let me give you some community group questions and instruction, and then we'll close and pray. How have you personally grappled with illness or suffering? And what is your approach to seeking healing and restoration? How does the hope of ultimate healing influence your perspective on sickness, pain, and suffering in your own life or the lives of others? And then pray for each other. Let us pray right now. God, we, we thank you that, Lord Jesus, you are you are a compassionate healer someone that comes into our pain someone who comes into our suffering so lord god we avail ourselves to you now whether it is our own pain and suffering or the pain or suffering of others god as we as we sing as we partake of your broken body and your shed blood lead us god into a time of reflection And maybe a time of just crying out to you, God. Have mercy on us, God, we pray. We trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.